Steve, and we're back. Yes, sir. Very exciting. It's, uh, I think we're getting some really quality guests, and tonight's is no different. No different. I'm excited to really dive into this because, you know, the coaching profession has its ups and downs and, uh, you know, highs and lows, and I, I'd love to really chat, get into it tonight for sure because, uh, you know, sometimes we need some advice on how to stay sane in all this crazy battle that we are in. Well, tonight, Coach, we have Mike Maker. He's uh, currently the associate head coach at St. Thomas in Minnesota. And I don't know if folks aren't familiar with St. Thomas, but they've done the unprecedented jump from Division Three to Division One in the past few years. Coach Maker came as a former head coach at uh, Marist and Williams College. At Williams College, he had some unprecedented success uh, he took him to three Final Fours. He went to the final game a few times, Elite Eights. Uh, what's really neat, and and maybe we'll get to this, I don't know if we will or not, but he has coached some NBA players and head coaches, current NBA players and head coaches. And, and I'll mention the names. Uh, Duncan Robinson, who plays for the Miami Heat. Will Hardy, who is the head coach at, for the Utah Jazz. Joe Mazzula, who's the head coach of the Boston Celtics. I just listened to an awesome interview with him a few days ago and then he's also he also coached Mike Gansey who was uh the uh, Cavs general manager so he's got quite a resume and we're we're really pumped to have you coach maker thanks for hopping on how you doing tonight I'm doing fantastic and it's really an honor to be on with you guys thanks for having me yeah no it's an honor for us coach and and no yeah yeah we're we're really pumped because of all your experiences and we're looking forward to hitting hitting with you so let's get started coach maker how are you wired <laughs> i'm wired hot uh so i wake up ready to go i'm a pretty passionate guy both uh on and off the court and uh i think uh some people are just meant to born to coach you know and uh i was the youngest of three boys and grew up in an athletic family with a marine father and uh, just fell in love with uh, basketball at an early age and uh, have been very blessed over the years to do what I love for a living and uh, be surrounded by so many wonderful uh, colleagues and uh, coach wonderful young men. And uh, I'm a very lucky guy and I'm married to uh, a beautiful woman who's also a coach. So, uh, and we were joking before we went on live that uh, I'm the second best coach in my own household with, <laughs> not even close. Uh, she, her and I share a lot of interesting stories about how to challenge one another and how to reach young people through our sports, albeit she's a cross head women's cross country coach here in Minnesota at St. Olaf College, her alma mater. So uh, they're different sports, but coaching's coaching. Yeah, my, uh, my son tried cross country for one season he threw up after every race and he was done after that one season. So <laughs> yeah, cross country is a different breed. I'll tell you that right now. Who are some of your mentors? I like to ask this for the veteran guys too, because I love to hear some of these answers, but who are some of your mentors, you know, early on and then, and then now in your current stage? Well, that's a great question. I think the two most notable mentors are John Beeline and Dana Altman. I was, blessed to coach under both of them and learned a ton. Uh, I was with Coach Beeline at West Virginia when we were in the Big East and uh, I joined their staff on the heels of an Elite Eight finish and uh, 
I coached Mike Anzi, as you mentioned earlier, GM of the Cavs, and a guy named Kevin Pitsnoggle, if you remember him. And oh, yeah. We had a Sweet 16 run with a heartbreaking finish to Texas and the Georgia Dome. Uh, but those two years under uh, Coach Beeline at West Virginia uh, were life-changing for me. I just loved our style of play and, more importantly, his substance and his character and how he ran his program. So it provided me a blueprint um, as I moved forward in my career and ultimately took over uh, at Williams and then Marist and, uh, you know, and now at St. Thomas in a secondary role alongside uh, Johnny Tower, who's brilliant. Uh, it's enabled me to, I think, add value uh, to our program early on. And then Dana Altman, um, you know, that was a wonderful experience in Omaha. And at that time, Creighton was in the Missouri Valley Conference. And uh, both those guys are um, highly successful, I think, Hall of Fame uh, coaches. And as much success as they had, they arrive at success in very different ways, where I think Coach Beeline's teams were uh, noted for their ball and player movement on offense, a lot of threes, et cetera, kind of a fast version of Princeton, if you will. And Coach Altman's teams, um, man, we we were hard-nosed and uh, played so hard and had a lot of depth. And uh, both of those guys have had a tremendous influence on me. And, and there's a handful of others that aren't as notable as those two, but uh, certainly the listening audience will know that uh, both those guys have had a major influence on me. That uh, that Sweet 16 game, was that in Atlanta? Yeah, yeah, West yeah I was at that game. I'll never forget it. I think – yeah. I, I don't. I think there were you guys only hit. I think you hit like sixteen or seventeen threes that game, and I think there may have been maybe <laughs> one or two, just two 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 buckets. Uh, I, I couldn't remember, but I, I remember that game. Yeah, you know, that was a, a heartbreaking finish to a magical yeah. season. I, yeah. you know, listen, that was a team coached by Coach Barnes, who I have deep respect for, and uh, they had a guy named Lamarcus Aldridge yep. uh, on that team. We had played them. Uh, earlier in the year on a neutral court in Kansas City and lost at the buzzer. Uh, LaMarcus blocked a shot near the rim at the buzzer. And then Pitsnoggle tied it. And then, uh, you know, they didn't call timeout. We had a foul to give and didn't use it. And they hit a, you know, a desperation shot at the buzzer. And the game prior to that, uh, Duke got beat by LSU, Big Baby, Baby Davis. And we had played LSU earlier in the year and lost in double overtime at home. And uh, you know, privately, I think we we thought maybe the door was cracked. We didn't have to go through Duke to get to a potential Final Four, but um, it was a great experience for me and uh, being able to coach under Coach Beeline. And um, it was and to coach in the Big East. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but my older brother Wyatt uh, played in the Big East at Villanova under Coach Massimino and uh, was a backup center to Eddie Pinckney on the. 85 national championship team that upset Georgetown. So oh, wow. uh, to be able to coach in the Big East, which I grew up watching with my older brother and fell in love with, uh, it was really special. So coach, I uh, I tried to do a deep dive on you as a head coach. Unfortunately, when I was looking at Williams and those things, there weren't a lot of analytics for Williams. There's, there's stats, which I kind of looked at and tried to, tried to, get a feel for and uh and through things i've read it's mentioned you're an offensive genius i guess kind of the big thing i got from your stats is your teams got to the foul line a whole bunch compared to their opponents but as a head coach what would you say the strengths of your teams were 
when you when you ran those programs? Yeah, I don't know about a genius. I think I I, I think the people uh, at Marist uh, would would probably not agree with me. <laughs> you know, when you have really good players, um, you know, it makes coaching a lot easier. And then I had a lot of wonderful influences prior to the Williams job, which is a tradition rich program. It's the Duke of Division Three, if you will. But I, I think our style, we definitely were noted for uh, our offensive play. And I think one of the best compliments I ever got was our team, uh, I guess, looking like an NBA to look like the Pops San Antonio Spurs team or Coach Beeline's West Virginia teams. And that made me feel really good because we played an up-tempo style uh, where we did like to shoot a lot of threes, but we like to make more free throws than our opponents attempted. And some of those stats were a little misleading because you know, we, we had a lot of success there and won a lot of games. So late in the game, teams are usually fouling. So they're a little skewed, but we did a really good job of getting, putting a lot of pressure on the defense. When you have five guys that can shoot, uh, or at least four on the on the floor and you space people out, we really loved to drive the ball and attack uh, off the bounce and then also throw it in with, uh, with some mismatches. So it was, uh, listen, we were there six years and uh, I met my wife there. Uh, our son was born there. Uh, we went to Salem four times in a five-year period. Uh, you know, it it's hard to do better than that, right? Outside of cutting the nets down, we had two heartbreaking losses in the national championship game. And uh, I know everybody associates me with, with Duncan, and I did coach him for a year. But we had several good players, right? And And there were a lot of good programs and coaches and players before I arrived and certainly – uh, after I left. And uh, I always felt it was a privilege to coach there. And, uh, you know, the, the, those six years will always hold a deep uh, place in my heart for sure. Now, when you, you took the Marist job, you know, you're coming off so much success. And then obviously you have the struggles of Marist. Like, how did you, you know, handle that adversity and, you know, moving forward? What were some of the things that you had to reflect on? Or what did you lean on, you know, to get to get through those times, you know, it's like I said, as some coaches, we, we go through hard times and we lean on different things. What did you lean on? Well, uh, you know, faith and family, right? We're right. a family and I have a wonderful wife and, and then I have mentors, you know, and, right. uh, you know, we were trying to, to build um, a program that, you know, hadn't been to the tournament since a guy named Rick Smith's uh, right. played there a long time ago. And, uh, I was going to build that program and the way I knew how with high character people uh, that, uh, you know, had high basketball IQs and it was a rebuild. And uh, listen, I'll always be grateful for the opportunity I had at Marist and right. uh, no ill will. I wish we had had a longer timeline to do what we wanted to do, but I'm very proud of my career. And, um, you know, I'm glad that, you know, I've resurfaced in Minnesota and, uh, helping Johnny, uh, you know, do something that's unprecedented and has never been done before. I, uh, and just, I'm not saying this in a defense, but, and I didn't know you back then, but prior to you getting the mayor's job, I don't remember who was on staff of coach Bowers, but they were recruiting one of my kids. So, mm -hmm. but I, and I know how hard that job is and it's not like he left you with anything <laughs> any ingredients to work with so that's that's just that's my two cents but no I, I i just want to respond to like how did i handle that i you know listen we all like to to win 
right? And I'm as competitive as, uh, as anyone. And, uh, but I thought it was really important to stand tall when things aren't going well. And I try to do that in the public, privately. Uh, it was extremely hard for me. Uh, yeah. You know, we also at that, you know, during my second season, we had a second uh, son born and he was born prematurely and lived for 30 days and passed. So we had a lot of challenges uh, mm. internally as a family. It's certainly not an excuse. And then we were trying to rebuild, you know, and, and um, you know, it just, listen, we, I, I'm a big boy. We, we didn't win enough quick enough. Um, I still had three years remaining on my contract and we decided to part ways and uh, I was disappointed, but I'll always be grateful for the opportunity Maris gave me. It's a beautiful campus and a really good school and I coach wonderful young men and wish I could have uh, turned it quicker. But uh, I think if you look at uh, my background, uh, you know, I mean, we, we had a lot of success at Williams. I'm very proud of that. And we were trying to do at Maris what we did at Williams. I mean, it's different level but basketball is basketball and we were trying to get highly skilled players and um kind of almost be like a remember those bucknell teams under coach flannery so i was trying to be like a really good patriot league team you know what i mean in the mac so we were trying to be different an outlier right where uh, we were really cerebral and all that but uh you know our williams teams and the west virginia teams creighton etc uh our assist to turnover was really good. And at Maris, we never solved that, right, Riddle? And, and when, you're, when you don't have ball security in any sport, uh, it's really hard to win. And uh, I, I still, even though the results didn't happen, I was very proud of uh, what we were trying to build at Maris and how we were doing it. And uh, uh, there's no shame in that. And uh, there's been a lot better coaches than me out there that never got a chance to be a division one head coach. And certainly there's a lot of really good coaches out there that have been let go like me. So I think it's really important uh, in our own household that, um, you know, listen, fire, being fired is no fun. Uh, but I think uh, there's a lot of eyes on you. It's easy to handle success. So at Williams, we, you know, we won 82% of our games. Uh, it's easy to stand tall and, uh, say all the right things and take all the interviews when everything's going well. And when it's not, that's the true test of someone's character. So I, listen, I, uh, you know, I wish it went better. I wish we would have won more games, but, uh, but I don't have any regrets of how we were running that program. I'm very proud of how we did that. And, uh, you know, I was looking forward to more opportunities moving forward and, um, uh, my wife got the opportunity right when my contract was bought out at Marist here at our alma mater. And we gave a verbal agreement and then I got a, a call from a power five school that will rename nameless. Uh, the day after we gave a verbal to oh, wow. St. Olaf and I still had two years paid three years of my contract uh, at Marist. And we decided to honor that uh, commitment and come here. And it's the best thing we've ever done. My wife is flourishing in her position. They have a top 10 program. Uh, she's a Chicago girl. So we were closer to her parents, which is really good for, at the time, our six-year-old. He's now 11. Uh, and we're doing well. You know, our, our son is uh, doing very well in school here. We live in a town called Northfield that has not only St. Olaf, but Carleton College. And it's where the Jesse James gang got caught. You know, <laughs> uh, they do reenactments every year. My son has loved it. And then I, you know, 
the timing of me getting let go and St. Olaf presenting itself for our family was clearly the right move. And then we were going to be here for a year or two. And then whatever best opportunity presented itself, we were going to move again. And then St. Thomas gets kicked out of its conference. Uh, Johnny and I uh, knew each other a little. Uh, you know, we had coached against one another uh, in Salem, Virginia, in an Elite Eight game one year. Uh, and, you know, he started talking to me about the possibility of joining the staff at, at St. Thomas. And I'm certainly glad I did. I feel very blessed. And how about that timing? You get let go. There's a job for my wife waiting. And then we're going to have to move again. It's not moving with, it's not a lot of fun moving with a young child. Uh, and then this opportunity presented itself. And uh, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I certainly miss having my own team. Uh, but uh, Johnny gives me a lot of autonomy. And uh, I think I have a large voice in his program. And uh, he lets me do a lot of our offensive concepts and uh, things like that. So it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, uh, I've learned a lot as much from, uh, you know, the experience I had at Maris as I did for the successes I had uh, at Williams as a head coach and as an assistant at uh, West Virginia and Creighton. That's a, that's a great answer. And the fact that, you know, our time may be different than someone else's time. And you said you're a man of faith and I'm I'm with you on that. And sometimes we get confused in our paths and then it works out in our favor. And, and then all we can do is be thankful. So that's a, that's a great answer and great response. No, I appreciate it. You listen, we all find out uh, who's really with you when things don't go well. So oh, amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. phone didn't ring a lot uh, after that. Right. And it was ringing right. prior to that, but that's okay. You know, so we, we listen, we, uh, our family is one that is passionate about coaching uh, and using our sports as a vehicle to teach life lessons. I know that sounds corny, but that's my wife and I both feel that way. And we took a risk leaving Williams for Maris, and we don't regret that risk. And yeah. uh, it was a great opportunity. And, and I told you, and I mean it, it's not just uh, coach speak or trying to say the right thing. I'm, I'm grateful I had that opportunity. I think I'm a better coach today because of it. Uh, there were some painful lessons there, but lessons well learned and we move forward. And uh, now I'm at St. Thomas and, uh, you know, really excited about being part of something that's bigger than yourself and that's never been done before. I mean, it's 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 hard to explain uh, the jump and I've coached at just about every level. So I've been a head division three coach and I've also been in division one for quite some time at all different levels, low one, mid mid major high major, what have you, uh, junior college. I coached there. I played there. Uh, and for us to make that jump directly, which has never been done before, uh, the way we've been able to do it speaks volumes about the type of young men we have in our program and Johnny Towers' leadership. It's funny we talk about it, and then I, I want to get to a little basketball question for you. But I would say to our players, like, it's going to work out. It all works out. Now, as both of you mentioned, like maybe not on your time frame, but it all works out. And it sounds like time kind of worked for you in a good way there. So that's pretty awesome. And I'm glad you're at St. Thomas, too, because we're talking to you now. So <laughs> not that that had anything to do with it. But so I just I'm curious. Uh, you said you had a lot of input with uh, Coach Tower. 
but what do you believe like practices should look like and feel like? And is there a percentage of offense should be done percentage of defense five on O five on O five on five. I know it's a lot of questions in one, but just want to get your feel for in practice and, and, and how it should look. Well, I, I think that, you know, all the successful coaches out there, you, you, you know, you coach what you know and what you believe in. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I mentioned, you know, two of my best mentors. I mean, I, you know, John Beeline, I think our percentage of offense to defense was probably, and I'm being conservative, 75, 25. Um, and some of our practices at Williams were 80, 20, 90, 10. Yet, you know, listen, I had a great uh, privilege of coaching in the Ivy League at Dartmouth for 11 years. And uh, Dave Fosher is a name that not a lot of people know, but he's absolutely phenomenal. He's a very creative coach. And his his idol in coaching was uh, Pete Carrill, and God rest his soul. And Coach Carrill was always really good to me. And, uh, you know, I asked a lot of questions to him when I got the Williams job, right? I needed a lot of assistance. And he was willing to share some information. And I always said, well, I've been told that your Princeton practices were very devoted a lot to offense and not as much to defense. And he goes, Mike, when we're playing offense, we're guarding ourselves. <laughs> so, you know, was so, you know, uh, he said the simplest things that made so much sense that no one else said, right? So, uh, you know, listen, I sat on the Dartmouth bench uh, next, a very good uh, coach. Fosher was a great coach and having people at, like Coach Dunphy at Penn and Coach Carrillo at Princeton. We ran a lot of Princeton concepts. Um, so I learned a lot from him. But I, I would say in the programs that I've been associated with, most of them, Ironically, I'm, I guess I'm labeled as an offensive guy and I'm proud of that. But yeah, I would say that the teams that I've directed have spent a majority of their time on offense, but gives simple defensive principles. Uh, you know, and I think I think each coach has their own philosophy and their own way of doing things. And uh, when you're having success, it's it's hard to to argue because it's so offensively heavy. Uh, is it is it? Is it pretty consistent? Like we're doing the same opening, we're doing the same kind of. Is it is it, there's a lot of consistency with the practices, or is it uh, constant, constantly evolving? Uh, no, I think the practice a lot of consistency with the practices. Listen, Johnny uh, doesn't need me to come in and screw things up. He's had so much right. success. Although it's you know there's an interesting correlation between Johnny and I. So uh, when I was an assistant with Coach Beeline at West Virginia, Johnny was a young assistant at St. Thomas and we didn't know one another. And he would watch coach Beeline's teams play and says, well, I would love for our teams to play like that. And then he saw years later, uh, he saw, uh, our Williams team play when he was an assistant in the final four one year. And we were on opposite sides of the back bracket. We lost a heartbreaker to Wooster at the buzzer and they went on, uh, to beat Worcester in the national championship game. But he saw our team play there, and then we got to talking, and then uh, Johnny's team and my team played a couple years later in the Elite Eight game in Salem. Uh, and uh, the rest is history. Now we coach together, and we both love two guard, right? Coach Beeline's uh, baby. That's his baby, right? Uh, <laughs> and I, 
I that's how we play. I think we look. I would hope a, a lot like his Michigan teams, and a lot of people remember those teams um, that he had that were so successful and made deep runs in the tournament and made two national championship games. Uh, but you know, it doesn't happen by accident, right? So we spend a lot of time uh, teaching the same concepts that Coach Beeline uh, taught while I was there, and that Johnny uh, has taught his St. Thomas teams prior to my arrival and uh, while we're here. So we we both. Uh, work together at trying to uh, give put our players in the right positions to use their abilities uh, and to play freely within our structure. And uh, we've had a lot of success doing it. Right? We we really have great ball security. We we uh, we don't turn it over a lot. We have a lot of assisted baskets. We like to shoot the three, uh, and we play up tempo. Uh, we run on makes and misses. So it's an entertaining style of play. I think it's aesthetically pleasing to watch. Um, I think it's fun to play, right? It attracts good players uh, when they're allowed to uh, utilize their skills in space. So uh, this year's team will be a little more challenging because as you guys know, we lost uh, rookie of the year, Summit League rookie of the year and first team all-leaguer Andrew Rohde to coach Bennett at Virginia. Uh, and he had the ball in his hands a lot. And then we lost Riley Miller, who's one of the better shooters in the country. So our, we lost a lot of minutes in the backcourt, over 70 minutes a game. So we have to replace that. But our front court is, uh, you know, I think loaded. Uh, so we'll be playing with two bigs on the court. So it's going to be uh, one of the biggest challenges I've had uh, as a coach to provide the appropriate space for us to uh, have ball security, uh, good shot selection, and still be able to play the way we want to play. So, Coach, you mentioned it, the the vaunted, changing, shifting foundation of college athletics and the different things that are going on. How has your staff approached it so all that change to make it the best it can be? Like, what, what have you all done? Are you just going with the flow and just – going to reload or reload might not be the right word but just fill those spots and do what you do yeah are you are you alluding to the nil and the portal yeah i mean everything but yeah, yeah. that yeah. those two things to, are kind of the number one things yeah i think listen to say there aren't days that uh we don't get frustrated because of uh the ever-changing landscape right nil and the portal have changed everything um, but I, I think we still are going to run our program the way we run our program. We're going to, uh, I think most of our roster is going to be built through recruiting, uh, high school players. And, uh, I don't look at it as a negative that Andrew left St. Thomas for Virginia. Uh, we have great respect for coach Bennett, uh, at Virginia and the type of institution it is and the type of person he is. And, uh, the program they have and heck if if we get we keep getting talented players like Andrew right we just keep recruiting talented players and uh, I think St. Thomas is a difficult place to leave I don't think it was an easy decision for Andrew uh, we have a special place we really do it's a, a wonderful school it's high academics top 10 Catholic school in the United States we have a beautiful campus uh, we're located in an upscale neighborhood of St. Paul. I mean, we have a uh, an urban address, but you don't feel like you're in the city, right? So uh, we have a lot to sell. We have a brand new $176 million arena 
that's going to be built in a couple of years. We're still on penalty. That I think that's the biggest hurdle for us. More, more doability than than the current landscape, right? So the transition from three to one and the penalty they gave. Usually, uh, no one's ever done what we've done. So arbitrarily, the NCAA tacked on another year. So most Division two schools making the transition to Division one have a four year penalty. Uh, for the life of me, I've never been able to understand it or explain. Nobody understands uh, it. <laughs> nobody, no, so, nobody understands. Well, I don't know, but we're you know. Listen, we work through that, and uh, we've been very fortunate uh, to recruit and retain our minus Andrew, our roster, right? And uh, young men like going to school at St. Thomas, particularly those in the Upper Midwest. We have our rosters loaded with Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Chicago players, uh, and we're gonna you know, recruit our region uh, and moving forward, we're going to be an even more attractive option once we have our facility and we're off penalty. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, it's really exciting that in year two, you know, we win 19 games. Uh, we finished fourth in our conference that, you know, the, the top of our conference is loaded and very good, right? With Oral Roberts, South Dakota State, North Dakota State uh, at the very top. And for us to take Oral Roberts to the wire uh, three times and in the semifinal game, uh, trying to get to the championship game of the Summit Tournament in year two, uh, again, it speaks to uh, the quality of our institution and leadership, starting with uh, Dr. Phil Eston at the top. He's our vice president and athletic director. Uh, and then, you know, a bold president, uh, Julie Sullivan, who made the decision for us to, to make the leap to division one uh and she recently left for the university of uh, santa clara another good catholic school in california uh but we we have the appropriate leadership in place we have a beautiful campus we have the commitment obviously with a uh, facility already on its way uh we had a talented recruiting class two years ago uh, uh you know we're hitting it right uh, you know and then we have the right head coach i mean johnny's uh been at St. Thomas for over 20 years. He's had a ton of success. Uh, I've prepared and coached against him, and now I prepare with him and coach with him. He's phenomenal. He's he's very bright and brilliant. You know, he has his doctorate in psychology from from Madison. Um, so he's a wonderful coach and a wonderful person. I think the players love playing for him. He's one of St. Paul's own right so he's very popular in the twin cities and uh in our state and uh i think as we move forward on our timeline i think we have a really really good chance of being one of those lovable mid-majors that has a chance to uh you know to make the tournament someday and uh have everybody in the twin cities go crazy it would be a, quite the story now do you i don't know i know the recruiting landscape's a little different so do you use a situation like Andrew going to Virginia in your favor? Um, do you bring it up? Do you say, hey, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know how you would say it, but, I, you know, you <laughs> want to keep your kids at St. Thomas. But, I mean, do you mention, hey, well, you know, even if you do blossom and you move on, you know, we're going to make you better. Do you use that or you? No, we haven't used it. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different recruiting strategies, but I think at the core of it all, uh, you know, college basketball is such a magical thing, right? March Madness, it's it's the best. I 
I hope there's not too much change moving forward. I know they're talking about expansion for the tournament field. I hope they don't. What makes it so great is what Fairleigh Dickinson did last year and, yeah. you know, things like that. And, um, you know, listen, the portal and the NIL certainly have left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. I, I do think uh, the hierarchy in college basketball will work diligently to uh, not fix, but to try to give guardrails to some of the freedoms they've given to the players and uh, the powers uh, that are in the players' favor. Uh, I think there's some common ground we can get to, um, to where we uh, don't damage what I think is the best, you know, I mean, March Madness in the, in the tournament is, I don't know, best sporting event in the world. <laughs> and hopefully we can protect that. And uh, we want a collegiate experience for our recruits, right? And uh, there's nothing like having a, a four-year experience. And we're not, uh, we're not naive. Uh, we know the landscape, but we're going to continue to recruit to the strengths of our in wonderful institution and our program. And that's trying to get guys that are here for four years that love our school, uh, love our program and want to get better. And uh, again, I listen, meeting with Andrew when he was trying to decide what was, you know, in his best interest, he's as, as tough and as loyal, is a wonderful young man. It was a hard place for him to be in, right? And I don't think anybody can fault him for taking the opportunity in front of him, especially to play for for Tony, right? So uh, uh, we look at that as a, I mean, we're not going to try to be, you know, uh, a breeding ground for people to come in and poach our players. Right. However, right. I, I mean, if you look at, if, if you do your deep dive and research into the Summit League, a lot of the better players, that you know, players of the year and all league players in the Summit League, all institutions have had a difficult time retaining. Uh, yeah. So moving forward, I think it'll be important. We'll see what happens at St. Thomas in regards to uh, what we can do to uh, make St. Thomas a more attractive place to do four years at, right? And uh, But we think our product is as good as there is out there in the Midwest for families and young men that are looking for a quality education and a style of play that allows them freedom and utilizes their skills. You, you think at some point, some sort of reality would start creeping back in because you see the numbers of 40% of the kids that enter transfer portal don't find a home. So you think you would think hopefully as this, this learning curve continues and becomes a bell curve, people start figuring out that the, the grass isn't always greener and they're, you know, we're in a good place. They're in a good place. And like you said, college basketball is magical when you walk out of that, that tunnel and you're, you know, all those, that band's playing for you and all those things. It's, it, it's pretty exciting coach, your staff. How do you, how do y'all break up scouting? Yeah. It, well, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, listen, when, when the transition was made from three to one, uh, Johnny's always had a great staff, uh, prior to the one that's in place now. Um, and there were a lot of guys that weren't getting paid by University of St. Thomas. They were uh, volunteers or work in his camp or what have you, right? Uh, and they were incredible coaches. They really were. They, they had so much success prior to it. But one of the things we talked about um, 
you know, scouting. I think self-scouting is something that gets lost. We do a lot of that, right? So I do all of our offense. Um, so again, I stole from Coach Beeline. So we have what we call positive clips and instructional clips. We don't call them negative. Um, I do all that. So we self-scout a lot ourselves, right? So our players continually watch them and we teach. um, And I think we teach in a way that's firm and fair, um, but demanding without being demeaning, right? And we provide a... uh, I, I'd like to think a wonderful experience for them. They, they, they're excited to come to the gym every day and get better, right? And how do they get better individually? Uh, and more importantly, how can our individual players help the collective good and help us have success? And that's winning, right? So, um, but our scouting, you know, we have uh, three of us that do different things. So I do all the offense. So I'll do it for us in self-scouting and I'll also look at, Let's say we're playing Creighton. Last year we played Creighton in our opening game. I'll show our team all the defense, you know, the defense of Creighton, right? What to expect on ball screen coverage or have they played a team like us that has similar concepts, et cetera. Uh, Kenny Lowe, who was the two-time defensive player of the year in the Big Ten for Gene Cady at Purdue and was with Matt Painter. I mean, we're lucky to have Kenny. Uh, He's from Gary, Indiana. He's basically in charge of our defense. He does the same thing. So he shows a lot of defensive clips, uh, positive and instructional uh, of ourselves. And then also when we're playing Creighton, for example, he'll show offensive clips of them. Hey, this is how, you know, in this ball screen, we want to cover it this way or this stagger screen, what have you. And then Cameron Rundles, who uh, is – uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis's own. Uh, he was a great player at Wofford. He does a great uh, job for us, and he's in charge of all the personnel clips. So when we're so individual, again, self scouting. So he'll do all individual clips of our guys. Our guys will come in, and he'll watch, they'll watch individual clips of themselves with with Cameron at times, and then he'll also do the individual clips for each team we play. So, you know. I don't know, Joe, maybe you were a great shooter, right? So we, we, we might we might have clips of you and saying, hey, every time he comes off this screen, we're going to switch, right? No threes for Joe, right? But Billy can't shoot, and he can't shoot at all. So when he's out on the perimeter, two feet in the lane, stuff like that. Sorry. How did he know? How did he know? <laughs> How did he know without ever seeing us? Totally inaccurate, but it's bad scouting. Bad scouting. It's all good. That's all good. So a lot of teams, so I've done it different ways too. I've been at places where, um, you know, you broke up the teams. So, uh, for example, at Williams, we played Friday and Saturday. It's kind of like the Ivy League. And I would give, I had two assistants. One assistant had the Friday night team. The other assistant had the Saturday team, right? So everybody does it differently. I personally love the way we do it uh, because sometimes when you don't have the scout, you're not maybe as invested Right. Uh, so every game, you know, each of us are heavily invested. Um, I think it's more it's more time consuming the way we're doing it. Uh, but I think we're all zeroed in and dialed in uh, on the teams we're playing. But n- no team we're playing is more important than our own. And that's how we coach. When you do the self scout and you're doing the instructional clips, do you have like a ratio? I 
for every two good ones, I'm going to give them one instructional clip or like, how, how do you handle those, uh, those, yeah, I, those learning moments? Yeah. Listen again. Uh, I've had so many wonderful mentors I've already mentioned, but coach Beeline was, was fantastic at, uh, giving a lot of sugar, not unnecessary praise. Right. Um, right. but you know, teaching, right. So I, you know, we like to keep those clips at two to one, three to one ratio. You know what I mean? So the instructionals, are meant for teaching purposes, not to personally embarrass or anything like that. If we think it's really bad with an individual player, uh, sometimes we'll do those instructionals in a private setting, right? Right. Um, now- you Don't avoid it. You don't avoid it. No, it we don't address. Listen, I, I would say, I would like to think that I'm a, I'm definitely a player's coach and uh, I'd like to think that, but I, I think I was demanding to play for, but I love my players. I'd like to think they love me too. And uh, those close personal relationships, as long as they know that you're competent at what you do and that you care deeply for them, that you love them, they'll allow you to coach them hard. Um, but I think last year of the 32 games we played, uh, I mean, I'm not proud of it, but we had a really poor performance offensively at Montana State last year on the road. And uh, that next film session wasn't a lot of fun. I didn't have any positive clips <laughs> for, <laughs> for them to show. And I let them know I wasn't happy. But but because they knew uh, how I felt about them as young men, um, you know, they needed to hear that. And, well, we ended up beating Idaho State on the road uh, the next game, which made me thankfully made me feel pretty good. But um, every once in a while, right, you want to you, you want to use those grenades carefully when you, you know what I mean. Right. So um, we want to make our environment um, one that, again, that they're so excited to come into the gym and, and play. Right. And to be coached by us and play with their teammates and to wear that uniform. And uh, I know that sounds corny, but that's how we coach. But every once in a while, right. Um, there's going to be, you know, <laughs> they're accountable. Right. <laughs> so and I think they want to be right. I think they want to be. So we try to do it in a way though, that uh, doesn't demean them and that they can learn from it and that we can grow as a team. Um, and that's the most important thing. And thankfully, we have unbelievable young men playing for us. And again, I can't say enough good things about Johnny. He's fantastic. And just I love being a playing a small part in, in our success and um, him allowing me a voice. Uh, and believe me, I can talk forever. So if this Zoom was three hours, I, I could go for more. <laughs> well, Coach, let's – so. First off, send my condolences to Coach Lowe because Creighton had to be just – his head had to be spinning after trying to watch all their offensive stuff and try to give <laughs> bits and pieces of how to guard it because I, that's sometimes we – our players kind of matched up. I shouldn't say matched up because they had a seven-foot tra transfer from the, the Summit League, but, you know, and that could shoot threes. But I felt like – our team execute could execute similar to Creighton. So I, I'd watch some stuff. So I, I, I send him my condolences or at least just, or, I mean, I'm sure now it's over. So he's probably recovered. after that. <laughs> I have to, Kenny, both Kenny and Cameron, uh, uh, 
I want to make sure everybody knows I, I, we have two really quality young coaches working for us. And uh, Kenny's brought a lot of uh, value uh, on the defensive end of the floor uh, for us, having played at Purdue, right? And then what he did as a player. But I want you guys to know we actually led Creighton with eight minutes to play, uh, right, in mm -hmm. front of 18,000 people. And uh, they're not easy to guard. I didn't coach under Coach Mack. I have great respect for Creighton. I was there for one year, and I loved it. Um, it's one of the best jobs I ever had. They have a passionate fan base and like us, a beautiful school, Catholic, urban, all that. And uh, the way their program has exploded onto the scene nationally and now in the Big East, uh, it's kind of cool to see from afar and uh, brings back wonderful memories for me. But yeah, they're difficult to guard for sure. Uh, they have really good players and a, a great system. And Coach Mack has proven to be one of the better coaches in the United States. So coach, you, you brought up coach tower. And if any of our listeners get a chance to go listen to his interview on slapping glass, I totally recommend it. I just, I would love to know how your program embraces families or the programs that you've been a part of. Um, Cause you know, at the high school level, we really have have a lot of involvement in that regards and then you probably had some good involvement at the Williams level but you know now you're now being at the division one having worked for uh coach Beeline and coach Altman that might be a, a different way of embracing families and then you got coach Tower who has his doctorate in motiva intrinsic motivation all that stuff how do y'all do it how, how do you how do you think best to do it well, I think we're definitely family friendly. I think it's when you recruit high character young men uh, that will represent your program the way it richly deserves to be represented uh, in the classroom, on the court, on your campus and in your community. Uh, you know, our athletic director talks about comprehensive excellence. I think uh, it starts on the front end. When you recruit quality young men that come from really good families, it makes it easier. Uh, right. And then when you take some, uh, some risks, uh, where those things don't happen, I think that's when you can run into problems and not to say that we are, uh, a perfect program or far from it, but we really strive to have the type of young men that when, if you were to come to a practice or a game we would hope that you would leave that whether we win or lose. And you say, you know what? That team is fun to watch. They play right. They act right. Uh, you know, they have a, a, a good fan base for where they are on their build. Uh, but I, I really think that, you know, having a relationship with the families is so important because you're coaching their son. It, it, you know, listen, when I was at Williams, I used to, I was single and then I met my wife and got married. But I remember telling all the, the parents of the players I was recruiting, I promise you, I promise you that I'm going to treat your son like he's my own. And I meant every word of that. And they nodded, Mike, we appreciate that. And I meant it. I really did. And I tried to do that uh, to the best of my ability. Uh, but then I became a parent and I got married later in life. My wife is quite a bit younger than I am. Um, and uh, then I actually knew what that meant. <laughs> so I, I remember talking to those families that I had promised I'll treat, I, I promise you I'll treat your son like he's my own. And they would chuckle that I, I really didn't know what that meant at the time because I wasn't a parent myself. 
And now that I have a son, um, you know, you just want your son to be treated fairly, to feel appreciated. Uh, but listen, when they need tough love, they get tough love, you know? And, um, but I think the families that entrust their children to us, uh, they know what they're getting, right? Johnny's leadership is, uh, unreal, right? He's again, he's highly intelligent, but he has character and then he's extremely competent. I mean, uh, listen, the, the, his overall record speaks for itself, but it's not just the winning, it's how they're doing it. Right. Uh, before I joined and that was a big reason. I had a lot of confidence in John. I had a lot, you know, we're a Catholic family. I don't think you have to be Catholic to appreciate St. Thomas's, uh, mission statement or, uh, you know, Johnny's style, but I think it helps. Right. And, uh, so we have a lot to sell and I think the families are a big part of that picture for us, uh, knowing what we're getting, um, you know, chemistry is everything. And I used to tell all the families when I was a head coach, like the parents, that they're a big part of that because I wanted our players to hear one voice, mine, when I was the head coach, because they're going to have all kinds of people. Now, today, today's day and age, right? You have your high school coach, you have your AAU coach, you have your trainer, then you have your parents. You might have a sibling or a cousin or a friend. You know, they have so many voice, social media. I mean, there's so much coming at young people today. I think it's really important uh, to keep things as simple as possible. And if you recruit the the right young men that are a right fit for your institution and your program, uh, you'll have less issues. You're not going to, you'll never have no issues. I mean, that's not the real world, right? <laughs> Anybody that's coach knows, knows that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of sleepless nights in the maker household, right? Uh, you're only as happy as your uh, unhappiest coach. Uh, in our household. So, you know, if I come home real after a really big win and my wife, something happened, my wife lost her top recruit, that's not a good night, right? So it's rare that both of us have a great night at the same time, but uh, uh, it just goes with the territory. But it makes it a lot easier when you're dealing with families that understand the value of a St. Thomas education and uh, that we expect them to play team basketball when they come here or they won't play. It's a great, great point of how you're saying chemistry is everything. You know, because we all know that as coaches, they are chemistry as a team will, will help us along the way for sure. But to mention that everybody's included in that chemistry, the family, the outside influences, it's its all part of it. Sometimes we get lost and just think of, you know, just our inner circle. But, you know, no, unfortunately, <laughs> there's some outside sources that are part of that chemistry as well. And then we all need to be on the same page. Coach has – has how you develop relationships with your players changed as you become an assistant coach than, than when you were the head coach? Has that changed for you or, or is it you still do the same things even though you're assistant rather than the head? That's a great question. I, I think, you know, listen, it's a lot easier to make suggestions than decisions. <laughs> right. So I, I, I think I would like to think that, you know, that I've had – added some value for Johnny, right? So, uh, you know, I've had the experience of being a longtime assistant at Dartmouth and in Division I prior to coming here. You know, I had 17 years of being a Division I assistant. Uh, I also had a decade of being a head coach. And uh, so I think that, you know, having run my own program and having my own uh, way of doing things, I think Johnny and I uh, have a unique relationship. Uh, 
we coached against one another. Now we're coaching with one another. Our wives actually graduated from St. Olaf together in the same class and knew each other before we moved to Minnesota. And us two dummies didn't even know it. So we both over. <laughs> if you would take one look at Chansey and one look at Erica, you would know that we're both great recruiters because we don't deserve <laughs> uh, that by, by any means. But uh, yeah, I think, I think as a, you know, the veteran assistant here, you know, I'm 57 years old. I still think I can connect with a 18 year old like I could when I was 27. Right now, the biggest challenge probably in marriage, you know, my wife is 15 years, my junior. So, uh, you know, generational gap with music, right? Things like that. I mean, they get a kick out of my dancing skills or lack thereof, things like that. I think you connect with young people when they know you care about them, as I mentioned before. So, uh, I think I had much more of an impact on because I controlled the narrative as a head coach than I have as the associate coach or assistant coach or what have you. Uh, yet it makes it a lot easier when philosophically, I think Johnny and I are as closely aligned as you could possibly be. Right. Uh, are there things that, uh, I would do differently than John does. Sure. But those would be small details. The core values of our program are such, our program is so well run. Uh, listen, it was well run before I got here. Johnny's running it now. It'll be well run when I leave. Right. And Johnny will still be here. He'll set a record for 50 years at St. Thomas uh, and, and keep winning. But yeah, I think uh, as a head coach, I think um, the weight of being a head coach uh, is immense, right? The, the Listen, I remember I was in charge of Coach Altman for the year I was there at Creighton before the tip. Now, we had 18,000 fans a game in Omaha. They're a great fan base, and I loved every minute of it. And But I was the new coach, even though I had a lot of experience. I was a new coach, so they, always, they all said, hey, you got, you got coach. Make sure Dana gets to the court. <laughs> you know, in time for the clip. And he was always nervous before the game. And, <laughs> you know, so I was always, coach, we got to go. I'll be there in a minute. You know, like, so I always had him. And then, you know, I used to kid him all the time about, you know, he was so fit and so tough and so brilliant. Uh, but when I got the job at Williams and I left Creighton and I had his blessing, which meant a lot to me, um, I remember him, I remember calling him for a lot of advice and he'd say, how's your pregame meals going, big fella? And I said, not real well, coach. So like when you become the head coach, right, the weight of it all, the responsibility you have to um, make sure you run a program that everybody can be proud of on and off the court and, um, you know, your players, um, the alums, uh, the players played before those kids, the student body, uh, your athletic director, your president, your the town. I, I'll be honest. Listen, when I got the Williams Drive, I know it's Division Three, but it's a beautiful. I mean, it's number one rated liberal arts college in the United States. They had great tradition. It was a high pressure job. I mean, they expect if you're not going to the Final Four, it's kind of hard to go to the local store. It's only six thousand people, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just a lot of expectation. But no matter what program you're running high school, junior college, 
small college, mid-major, high-major, you feel responsible for everything that happens, uh, right? So it's a lot of responsibility. I miss that responsibility every day, but I'm also grateful uh, for the opportunity to assist Johnny in any way that, uh, that he needs, that I can add value for our program to take the steps forward that it needs to take to put us in the best position to do to get us to the tournament someday. And it's it's a really cool thing to be involved with something that's never been done before. And that was a major reason why I did it. But to be honest, if I didn't believe in John as a person, I already knew what kind of coach he was, but he's, he's a wonderful person. And uh, obviously my wife knew his wife as well. And, and then the whole mission statement at St. Thomas just puts it over the top. Well, coach, you keep alluding to it. Like maybe, maybe we have the wrong guest on tonight. Are we, did we drop the ball on that? Maybe we have the wrong guest. We should, can, what's it, where's Erica right now? Can we get her over? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we have an 11 year old. So our 11 year old is probably, she's probably making sure he's getting to bed because he has school tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> my, my wife's a lot easier on the eyes and the ears. And uh, listen, she's, she's, she's wonderful. And, uh, you know, I met her at my first year at Williams. She was an assistant uh, with the Williams cross country and track and field programs. And, uh, you know, it just worked out, you know, you know what I mean? Like we both share the same passion of coaching and uh, she's doing a phenomenal job uh, mentoring her young women in her program. And uh, it's really taken off. She ran for a legendary coach here and that legendary coach wanted her to uh, succeed her uh, and she has, and that's not an easy thing to do. I felt that same way going to, to Williams, right? Coach Paulson before me won a national championship. He's a heck of a coach. He's now resurfaced at Holy Cross. I'm really happy for Dave. And, uh, at that time, the athletic director there, Harry Sheehy was an all American player at Williams, uh, was a legendary coach and athletic director. Um, so, right. There was a lot of weight, uh, in that program. And then, you know, that's external, but internally, I think any coach, you know, how are you wired? Listen, uh, I'm as competitive as competitive can be. Um, it was important to me to respond, um, uh, after failing at Marist, um, in a really good way. And I've got a lot left in the tank and I'm competitive and, uh, grateful for this opportunity and, uh, looking forward to contributing in any small way I can for St. Thomas to uh, to hit the national scene and do well. Coach, um, what's your day-to-day look like? And and to go along with that, are you a learner? I'm assuming you are. I know it's a kind of a silly question to ask, but what how, how do you consume information in terms of your learning? Yeah, I'm a visual learner. I watch a lot of film. I... I think I'm an old school guy though. So all this tech stuff, you saw, you know, my wife getting me on with my Zoom and stuff, right? So I'm terrible <laughs> at anything with tech. I had this huge grease board in my office and it's got all my thoughts. You ever see that movie, A Beautiful Mind? Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't, I don't know if I, the, the movie, like all those, you know, ideas on a grease board. I have every idea on a grease board. A lot of it contains offensive concepts and what have you. But I'm always studying people that play a brand of basketball that, I've been accustomed to, like, I really miss watching coach Beeline's teams play at Michigan. I always loved coach, uh, John Thompson, the third's teams at Georgetown. Um, 
you know, I like watching Creighton, St. Mary's, Belmont. You know, there's certain teams that play a style that uh, is familiar to me and the concepts that I enjoy. And now, heck, I get to learn from two of my former players. You know, Will is running his own team uh, in the NBA <laughs> with the Jazz. And I learn more from, from him uh, than I think he ever learned from me. And uh, really proud of him and Joey uh, with the Celtics. And uh, so I just try to learn from people that are in my family tree, right? And there's so much to learn. I think I think I have more questions now at 57 than I did at 37, right? So, um, you know, I, I think when you stay humble and hungry uh, and you have an insatiable desire to, a will to succeed and to win and to help young people grow, uh, yes, I mean, I, I get paid to coach basketball, right? And <laughs> a big part of my job, a big part of it is our offense, right? That's what I'm labeled as, as a coach for good or for bad. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, listen, the best opportunity I ever got was uh, in 1991, Dartmouth took a chance on me. Dave Fosher hired me, he could have hired a lot of people. And we were, first thing he did was say, hey, listen, this is back when they had all the VHS tapes. And um, that's probably the same era I'm still in right now. Uh, but he, he wanted me to watch 10 years of Princeton film to help him run the Princeton offense. So that's where it all started. And then 11 years there, then I went to work at Sanford under a guy named Jimmy Tillette, uh, who's a wonderful coach that uh, had a lot of success, brought Sanford to uh, two NCAA tournaments and ran beautiful Princeton offense. And then Coach Beeline gave me an opportunity of a lifetime at West Virginia. Uh, I think he, I don't know if he'd like the term Princeton, but we play, I guess, Princeton on steroids, whatever you want to call it, a beautiful brand of basketball. So I've always been labeled, I guess, that person. Um, I take great pride in it, but it doesn't mean that I can't coach defense either, right? I think any good defensive coach, I think, understands offensive concepts and vice versa. I think any good offensive coach certainly would understand what the defense is trying to do and how they take you away and what are the counters, et cetera. So, uh, you know, listen, I'm, I'm just glad I'm still doing it at, uh, at 57, this, this business can eat you alive. And, um, you know, I'm very proud of my journey and, uh, so many people that have touched my lives and, uh, a lot of my mentors, but my players too. Right. And now I'm married to a coach and, uh, you know, we have a, a beautiful 11 year old boy. And uh, like you say, coach, right. Things work out. Right. So uh, we're doing very, very well. Um, and we're trying to stay in our lane and hopefully <laughs> can win a national championship and win us cross country. And uh, at St. Thomas, we, when we're eligible, we can make the tournament and uh, turn St. Ball and our campus upside down to be, it'd be something incredible to see. I um, maybe I'm trying to get some insider information because you mentioned that you, you have two bigs. You're trying to create space. Is, is there someone specific that you're looking at now to 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 add to the arsenal? You know, with the with the bigger guys. I'm, I'm, you know, I did, well, I I did a lot of. You know, Gonzaga has played <laughs> extremely well with two bigs for a long yeah. time. Uh, so we're trying to. Uh, there might be. Uh, a world where, to be honest with you, I know this sounds crazy, 
to have three bigs on the court at the same time because we our front court we have two grad students uh brooks allen and parker bjorkland and are both wonderful parker's in a six year of college he had an, he has an interesting story that we'll have to do at another time that's a zoom call by <laughs> himself uh, and then brooks allen is just you know high iq one of my favorite players i've ever coached and they're they're great young men and then we have a talented young sophomore named ajani lee and uh, we have to get them all in the court sometimes at the same time but brooks plays more like a guard and he's every bit of six seven uh johnny's six nine i don't know parker's probably six seven but so we'll have to be very creative like that, listen this challenge i'm embracing this year it's not easy um but john you know listen johnny uh he knows what he's doing he doesn't need me to come into his office with my report <laughs> but we're figuring it out and uh uh you know i think a coach's job is to put his best players on the on the floor and adapt not have the players say fit them into your pretty little offense right you got to adapt to the players you have and put them in positions to use their talents accordingly both individually and collectively so we can have success as a whole well coach we've appreciated your time we always like to ask this one last question to our guests and get their opinion and and their feeling the question is, what bothers you most right now in the world of basketball? What bothers me most right now in the world of basketball? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, man, that's a tough one. I I don't know if it bothers the right word. I, I think um, the jumping around, what we, you know, it's hard to build a program today. You're almost like, you're having a team now you know what i mean like you build your team for this year so i'm an old school guy i think i think the hopping around uh for so many there's just so many transfers that we've lost some of the purity of what made college basketball so special in a four-year experience not just on the court with your teammates but with the institution itself so you know when you're old like me you can actually go back to that college and <laughs> And with your family, if you're lucky enough to have that and um, say, this is where daddy played or coached or what have you, you know, I think we're losing some of the, what, you know, some of the, the great things about college basketball is the, the young people that play it. And, you know, the old days, the biggies in the eighties, when my brother played, oh, those were wars and those teams were together for four years. You know, now you get old as a team, not by developing players, but by, you know, picking up transfers from different colleges. So it's hard to know from year to year uh, what your roster is going to look like. And again, we're going to try to do it the conventional way, not to say that we will never take a transfer. We have, and we're going to continue to for the right young men. But I would say that that's the one thing that uh, today probably, uh, bothers me the most about the game, right? I don't think the game is as healthy today as it was a decade ago. Uh, yet, I think we have Danny Gavitt is a superstar in this business, and uh, he's at the top of the food chain in the NCAA, and I think he'll be a, uh, the czar, if you will, that will help lead us forward and get us back to uh, a common ground where the game of college basketball can be good for, for everyone, players, coaches, fans alike. Well, that answer is awesome because we hear it a lot on our show. 
And, and and it sounds like you're referring to people having roots, like like college basketball or any level for that matter. If you have your roots and you grow from those roots in a four-year span or whatever it may be when you get to the professional level, but high school's similar, you're going to it seems it, that seems to be better for people in the long run versus the short term, you know, whatever you want to call it, quick, uh, quick fix or quick yeah. adrenaline. Jolt. I think, yeah, I agree. And I think transfer, listen, uh, I, in the old days, you know, you transferred when you, 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 you transfer because you weren't having a good experience because you maybe weren't seeing the court or you wanted, you were homesick, wanted to get back home whatever it may be. Now kids are transferring. I mean, Andrew Rohde had an unbelievable experience. He would tell you, right? He's transferring because the, uh, you know, it's just the landscape now, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to say no to the ACC and, and there's no penalty. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, awesome for Andrew, but tough for programs like like ours. And, uh, you know, it makes a, it makes an interesting evaluation process, right? Where you, try to think that you're doing a really good job evaluating, maybe finding sleepers and then you attract that quality young player, help develop them. And then they're gone. Right. So uh, I think it's a challenge at our level for sure. But I think one that maybe not in the short term will get better, but in the long term, I think, again, I think we have uh, people working real hard to try to fix what ails college basketball currently. Yeah, because it doesn't. It just doesn't affect the Division One level. It trickles down to to every level, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Because I'm with you. I'm old school in that sense as well. I mean, it was neat to to see a you know a roster that you knew that was coming back. You know, that's why what Florida did their back to back national title and all those guys coming back probably will never happen again. Uh, you know, just in the near future is I don't know. It's I, I miss it too. <laughs> no question about it. No question about it. So it's hard to have continuity, right? right. Uh, and when you can develop players and you have like like for us, our starting front court has two kids that came here as division three players. Right. And that are in graduate school and we've scholarshiped them now because we can. Uh and that's a wonderful story. I mean, you talk about great stories with those two kids I alluded to earlier. They're they're wonderful, and there's they're the reason why you coach. Well, coach, we really appreciate you coming on with us and taking time out of your busy schedule with not only your family but also your in season. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We can't wait to share this to the world, and and thank you so much. Well, I'm flattered you'd have me on. You guys must have been really desperate, a late cancellation, but uh, I'd be willing to do it anytime. And uh, I really, really appreciate that opportunity. Thanks so much, Joe and Billy.